Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio. Join us each week as we delve into some of life's most complex questions. It's time to explore the unexplained with your hosts, Karen Frazier and Rick Hale. It is Thursday night, and if you can hear our voices, you're exactly where you need to be. She is Karen Frazier. I am Rick Hale. This is Paranormal Underground Radio at hazyradio.com. Welcome. Karen, how are you this week? Well, I'm fine. Um, welcome back from your week off of cheating on us <laughs> with another show. Yeah. Yep, and you know what? It was the best affair of my, uh, that I could ever possibly know. Was but, uh, it? Was yeah, it, no, I mean, you have no regrets. I have I have absolutely no regrets. None. Well, we have no regrets either. We had a lovely conversation last week with right. Dr. Raymond Moody. Um, it's always a pleasure to have him on the show. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. I, I was able to listen to the uh, last hour um, uh, uh, pa- uh, Paranormal uh, New Orleans. Their show is only about it's only 45 minutes to an hour and it's funny too because it's like near the end I'm, I'm talking and we're you know we're talking about uh the alien autopsy which i kind of never really found very credible and um and all of a sudden he's like well we got 30 seconds left i'm like what it goes by fast when you're <laughs> it, guessing it goes by else's. real fast yeah uh-huh. yeah yeah well good. So- i'm glad that you got out and got some exposure yeah, no, it was it was really cool. I mean, I really like uh, you know Chris and Jeremy. They're they're a couple of really nice guys, and you know they're 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 fairly new to the field, but they are also very knowledgeable as well. Very good. Well, good. And this week you're back, and we're we're in your wheelhouse this week. Yes, uh, this week our, our guest is uh, going to be uh, Bruce Pearson. If you're not familiar with Bruce. Um, he has been in the field of ufology as well as um, uh, psychical research now for a very long time. Uh, he has 38 plus years of broadcasting experience, professional journalist, former CBS news anchor, and second producer of Unsolved Mysteries. He does. I mean, I was like, yeah. I, I, I thought about just giving him the show today. Soothing. I know. So, He'd probably do a better job. Oh, thank you, Karen. I meant than me. Well, then both oh. of us. Then both of us, sure. Yeah. So what's new? Um, you know, a lot. Okay. Lay it on us, sister. We, we talked about it all last week. So, um, oh. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's, it's still new to me. Okay. Let's see what's new. Um, no. Nothing? <laughs> I'm going to take Reiki in a couple weeks. That's exciting. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, a friend of mine is, uh, does Reiki and, um, I'm 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 still skeptical. I'm I'm still I don't know. The jury's still out with me on it. I, I, well, I don't know what to think. Here's what's going to happen: is once I once I get trained and I get the attunement so that I get the Reiki energy, mm-hmm. I'm going to try and melt your brain from here. Okay. Yeah. You know, I for for whatever reason, and it's probably because I'm a huge anime nerd. But whenever I think of Reiki, I think of Dragon Ball Z. Okay. I don't um, know why. Be, I mean, it's like the hand movements and the shooting laser beams out of their hands and balls oh, of energy. Oh, yeah. I, it's you know what I'm saying? Exactly. It's not quite like that. Okay. But, um, yeah. So there's I no dragon had... force and stuff like that. No. So oh, I've man, always so been so... fairly skeptical about energy medicine and forms of energy medicine, too. Sort of thought it was placebo or whatever. Sure. But I will tell you that I had one Reiki treatment once. Okay. 
and it was uh, years ago. Tanner was three, and I was in the process of trying to split up with his father, um, although okay. we were still living in the same house. And I has I had um, this terrible sore throat, and I had it for months, and it wouldn't okay. go away. And I mean, it was like the worst day of strep throat, okay? But it was like that for two or three months. So yeah. finally, in desperation, and I'd been on antibiotics, and I'd been all, the, and it w- wouldn't go away. In desperation, I went to a doctor who did Reiki and craniosacral therapy. Well, I and she, but she was also a doctor, an MD. So I thought she was going to do like her MD stuff to me. And it turned out that she was doing some voodoo stuff on me. I mean, not voodoo. She's doing Reiki on me. I think that's a a lot different. (laughs) Yeah. She put her hands over my throat, and suddenly I burst into tears. Okay. And I sobbed on the table for the rest of the treatment. Mm -hmm. I sobbed all the way home. And I sobbed on and off for the next three days. And when I was done, that sore throat was gone. Now, let me ask you something. Do you actually feel um, this energy field or whatever it is that Reiki uh, uh, practitioners use? So I don't know. I mean, this was a long time ago. All I can tell you is that something happened and something broke loose. Okay. And whatever it was... It was what, it, the treatment was what I needed. And so, I mean, I'd had that sore throat for months and couldn't get rid of it. And it was very, very severe. And um, just like that, you know, a couple of days of crying and <laughs> it was gone. Wow. So. Uh, oh, hi, Paul. How are you tonight? Um, oh, hi, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, uh, Jamie had that once before, too. She had this horrible sore throat and she had it for well over a month. And there was absolutely nothing that they could do for it. They gave her antibiotics and they told her to do this. And, and uh, even the doctor was like, I don't know what this is. Well, I, I, in, in hindsight, I, I suspect I know what it was. Okay. So, because I was, like I say, I was um, in the process of separating from Tanner's dad. Yes. And um, while I was married to Tanner's dad, I basically had to spend about seven years biting my tongue. Okay. Um, and not speaking my truth. That was just the only way to make the marriage even have some semblance of working. And um, so I think that, I, you know, the, the throat chakra is, is the chakra of, of truth. It's, where you, it's about speaking your truth. Right, right. And so I think what happened was that my truth got lodged in my throat. In my throat chakra, because I hadn't spoken it for so many years. And it was also a time in my life I was working, a job I hated. Um, I knew spiritually that I just wasn't where I wanted to be um, because of the situation of my life. We were broke all the time. It was just a really sucky time of my life. I mean, really bad. And um, We all go through that kind of thing. I know. You you do. And right after, it was kind of the dark night of the soul, you know, that people have. Right. And and right after that, things started to change. And, I mean, you know, I got a job making big bucks, and I moved to Seattle with Tanner, and, you know, finally got Tanner's dad out of my house. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and, you know, spiritually, a lot of things started to change. A lot of things started to happen. And then shortly after that, I met Jim. And it was just it was just this huge change in my life. And it all started with that three days of sobbing and the Reiki treatment. So, you know. It's amazing. Can, I don't even know what to say. It's yeah, just it's remarkable. Yeah. And so with everything that's been going on in my life right now, um, it all feels like it's moving in a direction. And Reiki has been something I've been interested in for years. Okay. Um, our friend Neil McNeil is a Reiki practitioner. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's right. So anyway, Reiki is something that I've been interested in for years. And but I've never moved to do anything about it. And this is the time that feels right for me. For some reason, I feel like now this is what I need to do and that it can help me not only in, um, you know, my own life with my own health issues and for people who have health issues around me, but I think it's going to help me with working with the spirits too. And I don't exactly know how that's going to be, but I just have this feeling that it's all connected. Well, I'm sure that, you know, learning this kind of thing or having it done more often would, well, like you said, you know, it opened up, you know, you had spoken your truth and it, you know, it finally opened you up and maybe this will just open you up to a whole different um, realm of spiritual understanding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm excited about it. It's just doing the first, um, we're just doing like the first, Jenny Patrick is doing it with me. Okay. And so we're just doing the first one to start. I guess there's like three stages or something. And mm-hmm. so ours will be will be like certified Reiki practitioners when we're done with this. So we're doing that over Thanksgiving weekend. Okay. Wow, that's um yeah, that's it's definitely gonna be a lot on your plate. Uh I one of these days I'm sure I'll probably get <laughs> I don't it need done. that much of Thanksgiving. No, I no, 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 I don't mean, I, I don't mean it mean figuratively, not literally, although yeah. literally I plan on eating quite a bit this year. <laughs> um Yeah, it's uh it's it's definitely gonna be a lot that you're that you're gonna have to learn. I, 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 I like I said, I don't even claim to understand it and I'm not quite sure I believe in it just yet. Well, I'm reading a book about it and like I say it's something I've always been interested in and the timing was right for me to do this and the sure. opportunity arose and so hey we're doing it fantastic all right yeah. so basically i guess we are yeah we are hitting about to our first break correct uh i think that that would be a good good statement yes yeah. so let's do yeah. this let's go to break and when we come back you're going to be hearing one of the most beautiful speaking voices in all of radio. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about some UFOs and other stuff. So stick around, you guys. We'll be right back. It's Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Visit us today at ParanormalUnderground.net and get a 12-month digital subscription for 15% off the cover price. Do you want to keep up with what's going on at Paranormal Underground? Then tweet us on Twitter at Paranormal UG. Or follow us on Facebook at Paranormal Underground. Meet us on MySpace, Paranormal Underground. There's no need to be in the dark about what's going on at Paranormal Underground. Join us on your favorite social networking site today.
Hey, this is Karen Frazier, writer and radio host with Paranormal Underground. Since I wrote my book, Avalanche of Spirits, The Ghosts of Wellington in 2010, people have asked me what happened next. In my new book, Dancing with the Afterlife, a paranormal memoir, my Wellington story continues. Dancing with the Afterlife is more than the continuation of the Wellington story, however. It's also the story of a lifetime of afterlife research and paranormal encounters. What I've learned has changed my life, and it might change yours as well. To learn more about Dancing with the Afterlife, or to read an excerpt from the book, visit DancingWithTheAfterlife.com. Thank you. This is Hazy, and you're listening to the Hazy Radio Network. The views expressed and the opinions given given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Hazy Radio Network, its affiliates, or sponsors. All shows are independently owned and broadcast for entertainment purposes only. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio on HazyRadio.com. We are your hosts, Karen and Rick. Tonight joining us is a gentleman that has a voluminous career in the uh, uh, paranormal field uh, as well as ufological. Tonight we're going to be talking to Bruce Pearson. Bruce has 38 plus years as a professional broadcaster, professional journalist, once a CBS News anchor, and a segment producer for Unsolved Mysteries, which, you know... I. Any paranerd can tell you was Love our favorite show. shows back in the 80s. <laughs> so, Bruce Pearson, welcome to the Underground. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. 
Unsolved mysteries, huh? I do. I like, but I only when I would watch it, I always liked the like the spooky unsolved mysteries best. You know, the people long lost loves and things; those were interesting. But it was always the spooky stuff that I liked the best. So, I thank you for your role in that totally awesome show. Well, it was minimal, but it was very interesting. Back, you know, that's in the dark ages when there weren't a lot of uh, people that had any interest in. You know, other than really going back with Leonard Nimoy and in uh, his series, um, you know, I, there wasn't a lot on, and uh, the snicker factor was very prevalent back then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Thank but goodness, it was still... it's, it's not like that so much anymore. Uh, no, not at all. I think the paradigm is definitely changing in the general public, and I and I think that's a good thing uh, because sure. it's raising the bar in terms of of doing investigation and looking at the scientific aspects and the availability of, of really good, solid, documented evidence that only serves to move things along in a, in a really positive sense. So I think it's a good thing. So, Bruce, allow me to ask you this, and I always like to ask this of, of investigators that we have on because I think it really helps frame the conversation and the kind of person that we're speaking with. But um, what what is it that uh, that initially had got you interested in um, in UFOs and ghosts? Uh, I think that's a very valid question. The thing that really changed my career path um, was I, I went to New Mexico to go to college. I went to Eastern New Mexico University. Uh, okay. And interestingly, the 70s, the mid-70s, it kind of dates myself how old I am, but in the 70s, there was a lot of activity going on out there. It wasn't it's hard for people today to put themselves in the context of those years. Um, I had a, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to to be offered a part time job. I was working a couple radio station jobs, a number of them, uh, working at two different television stations, the PBS station on campus, uh, as well as a uh, CBS affiliate, uh, which was basically a translator station from uh, Amarillo. KFDW, and then I got the opportunity to work uh, fill-in weekend, weekend anchor at the CBS affiliate in Roswell, and that's uh, stemming from that weekend job is when I was approached by uh, uh, actually a, a cowboy came up to me one night at the truck stop after I went off the air um, where I used to get my blue plate special and then run back to Clovis, New Mexico to do the overnight shift on KMTY FM, which was the only 100,000-watt FM station in the country at that time. Okay. And uh, the guy approached me just out of the blue and said, hey, you're, to, you're to the guy from the news. And I said, yeah. He says, why don't, you, why don't you people ever do, and I can quote the guy, why don't you people ever do a story on the flying saucer? He didn't call it a UFO. That wasn't a term used back then. Mm-hmm. Um, that crashed out here after the war. And I figured, well, either this guy's drunk or he's crazy. Uh, I hadn't heard of anything of that nature. And, you know, I was in in uh, the broadcast media curriculum 90 miles up the road at the university. I figured I would have heard of something. I said, what what flying saucer was that? And he said, well, it crashed out here after the war. They made a big stink about it worldwide. And then the next day they covered it up and threatened everybody. And... So I went from there, but uh, it was, uh, he came back to me about a month later. He made me promise to do a story about it if he would, 
uh, round up some people that would go on camera or on you know on the record about it and i figured it'd be the last i heard of them and sure enough about a month later i get a yellow pad thrown in front of me at one o'clock in the morning goes here i here's 12 people 13 people that'll talk to you now you do your side of the agreement and uh, as i told him i couldn't guarantee we would do a story on it that wasn't within my pay grade but i would look into it and that's really that was the impetus in, in a nutshell of why i got interested in not only ufo studies but investigative reporting and uh, uh documentary work in general so that's kind of my my backstory sure, so when you got started with that you you said the snicker factor um it was really high back then so how did you manage to did you have to struggle for credibility or did you find that people maybe were a little more secretly interested in it than they were willing to let on well i think that's a very good point um and both of those solutions pertain to my my experience and and one is um it was a struggle even today i mean it's funny as as recently as a couple of days ago uh, in a public meeting, you know, I mentioned an event that uh, actually I was I was fortunate enough to speak at a year and a half ago in April, the New Jersey UFO Congress, and then uh, we had another uh, symposium last Saturday here in Hamilton, New Jersey, outside of Trenton, and some of the the most well known, prominent people in in ufology, uh, Grant Cameron was there, Linda Moulton Howe was there and spoke, uh, Jose Escamillo. Um, these folks certainly are are very well respected researchers. I mean, Linda's got an Emmy. She has a master's in in uh, journalism from Stanford. Uh, th- these are not people uh, <clears throat> in the vernacular wearing aluminum foil hats and running around, you know, seeing everything uh, through rose colored glasses. And yet today, you know, the snide remarks have to come out and. Um, so to answer your question, back to your original question, um, I'm also a pilot. I've done mm-hmm. aviation documentaries all over the world. Uh, one of the most prominent that myself and my partner and I in the Sky Television, who's a senior captain for uh, United Continental now, uh, Paul's probably got 14,000 hours in the cockpit. One, We did a Concord documentary in cockpit behind the scenes, and I've been all over the, the world uh, flying with commercial pilots and military pilots and so forth. And when you get behind closed doors and these guys talk to you one-on-one as a pilot, uh, you come to find out that, yes, uh, privately there are a lot of people who are willing to discuss and share what they've seen and experienced, but it's the death knell professionally um, to come forward with that in the public. And I think that that's an important issue that's overlooked when the ufo topic is dismissed out of hand i think if you really take a look at the cold reality of what happens to a guy who earns his living or a woman in the cockpit of an airliner if they open their mouth or even do a report to the faa there's a good chance they're going to lose their job now i point out as a point in fact the captain who was on uh the pilot in command of the 747 for Japan Airlines, the 747 freighter, over northern Canada when they were followed by this huge UFO. Uh, They reported it was on radar. NORAD had it out of Alaska. They were on their way into Anchorage. Um, This is the uh, story that has been brought forward 
and forgive me, I've forgotten his name, but the gentleman who was the head of crass investigations for the FAA, uh, who appeared in the 2001 um, disclosure project uh, press conference down at the National Press Club, and he elaborated this story in detail. It's pretty well documented. Anyway, this fellow... Yeah, this very familiar this, with it. Right. Well, that captain was taken out of the cockpit. He lost his job, in effect, because he went public with this. So when you look at the cold, hard reality of how this kind of disclosure will destroy somebody's career, there's nothing funny about it at all. The no. consequences of, of being honest about this, and I have to tell you, I literally, in at least a dozen literal cases, have had guys say to me in private, you know, I need to get this on the record. I'm ready to retire. I really don't care now. I have my pension. I'm not worried about losing my job. But somebody needs to hear about this before I go take a dirt nap. And I know yeah. damn well what I saw, what, what my flight crew experienced, what happened up there. And somebody needs to have this on the record. And when you understand whether it's a police officer or a military officer or someone of stature in the public... You know, I, I, is as much of a charlatan as the governor of Arizona was when he made that fiasco with the you know the guy dressed up as an alien. Uh, yeah. When Fife Simon yeah, came yeah. ahead after after the after the uh, Phoenix Lights issue, he he at least was man enough to to fess up and say, you know, there this is truly something. I saw it. I was aware of it. There's something to it. And at least he had the guts to come forward afterward and admit that. You know, that was a very inappropriate way to deal with a serious subject. Um, so the point is, this is not, this, these, these investigations, the ramifications, do not take place in a vacuum. There's real-world right. consequences to these people. Sure. You know, if you look at another area that, that I, I got involved in when I was in New Mexico, which goes on now, uh, continually, and I want to just put it in a, to just give you the most concise snapshot and that's cattle mutilations uh, oh, we, we investigated back in 75 I was working in in conjunction with the Albuquerque Journal outside of Clovis New Mexico uh, one of these cattle mutilations where I went and actually we photographed it and we we met with the rancher and I think that his statement to us puts it in clear focus uh, this cow was alive and well was being prepared uh, in a in a holding corral not more than 200 feet from this guy's house. It was right off Interstate 40, about a half a mile in it on his ranch. This animal was being prepared to take to Lubbock to the, to the stockyards for sale. Uh, there was a big mercury vapor light over this uh, holding pen. His dogs went crazy when we drove up to interview this guy. And as he said, he said, when we asked him, well, who do you think did this? He said, well, first of all, I didn't hear anything from the dogs. There's no tracks around it. There's no blood you know the four or five gallons gallons of blood if you've ever cut yourself if you're a guy you've ever cut yourself shaving or if you're any individual who's cut themselves you know the amount hey, of I've blood i've cut myself shaving well there you go <laughs> and that's why i don't shave my legs anymore but having said that can you imagine you have no idea what four or five gallons of blood looks like i well, spent many many years yeah. as in in emergency services i was trained as a paramedic and let me tell you four or five gallons of blood it looks like a swimming pool full of blood so how you can remove 
the sexual organs or the lips or the ears or eyeballs of an animal without being too graphic and not have one drop of blood on white, uh, you know, on its fur or on the ground, first of all, is ridiculous. Uh, sure. But yeah. but as this guy said, he says, well, I really don't care if the tooth fairy did it. That just, at that time, 1976 or 77, when I was doing those investigations, somebody just stole $1,200 off my family's table. And I want whoever did it to be prosecuted. That's a crime. And they're taking they're taking food off my table, and I want them prosecuted. Now, let me just put you put this in a very interesting perspective to look at. You tell me, and I've challenged people because I know the answer to this. You you tell me a crime that's been cr committed in the United States for the last fifty or sixty years, where there are thousands of cases of this crime, a felony, where there has never been a su a suspect brought in, indicted or convicted at the local, state, or federal level, why aren't people up in arms about thousands of these animals being slaughtered and no one has ever been caught or even brought in as a suspect? And the, the placating, you know, uh, uh, explanations are it's Satan worshipers. It's <laughs> that was always government. my favorite so, one. You know, it's predators. This has been refuted, and I'm not the one to speak to this, Linda Moulton Howe is, but having said that, I'm well aware, having lived in New Mexico and Colorado, what's going on. And quite honestly, that when, when we were in New Mexico, when I was in New Mexico, at one time Senator Pete Domenici was going to look into that, and he got nowhere with it. But the point is, why is that not in, in the mainstream media's uh, purview to look into this, and it, and it truly isn't. Once in a while, you'll have a story about it when one, but now they don't even cover that kind of thing. That is a heinous crime. Thousands of times it's been committed, and nobody seems to be up in arms about it. But we'll make silly little remarks. You know, the Cash Landrum case. Uh, they ended up with cancer. This this ruined these people's health. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and you could go on and on and on. So. My point is, this is not some esoteric discussion about the theories of how big the universe is and, you know, uh, the Drake equation and how many people feel okay. that there may be life on other planets. Where the rubber meets the road is real people whose lives have been screwed up, whose careers have been screwed up, or in the case of paranormal uh, investigation, you know, you know what Bill Bean's story is. What sure. a horror! Yeah. This guy, this guy's life was destroyed, and luckily he's been able to bounce back. And he, he's quite an amazing guy. But you know, this isn't funny at some level, and so I take it very seriously. And it, I find it, even though I have to keep my emotions in check as a professional, I find it very insulting uh, when people make light of it. And and. I do a lot of lecturing uh, on the uh, pilot circuit, if you will, to pilots of organizations and such. And <clears throat> what I say to people on a regular basis, well, do you believe in in UFOs? Well, first of all, it's not a belief system. And right. when people say, do you believe in That's ghosts? No, no, your religious beliefs are belief. That's do. But I can tell you as a broadcast engineer and as an investigative journalist that I have personally witnessed, documented, recorded, and reviewed evidence 
of a technical nature, substantial evidence of various types many times over the years that I personally have no explanation for, that traditional electronic theory, broadcast theory, uh, electromagnetic theory, any of our our widely held beliefs in science and mechanics and thermo, uh, uh, thermodynamics and so forth cannot explain. And I welcome anybody, and this brings up a whole other subject, but you know the the general media is so disingenuous when they let the the uh, professional skeptics just make a proclamation and are yeah. and do not hold them to the same level of demonstration or yes. uh, substantiation of that oh well this is obviously just that well wait a minute tell me exactly why you take that position if it's valid then let the viewer or the listener make up their mind. But they don't. They never say, well, you know, you can have Mr. Shermer or Mr. Nickel, the two classic uh, naysayers, make a God. proclamation, and then that's Don't even get me stand. started, Bruce. Don't even get me yeah. started. Sorry. <laughs> now, I'm sorry. These these guys are as much a, uh, a charlatan-based uh, quasi-professional that as anyone who makes wild speculations about the nature of a paranormal event with nothing to back that up. I mean, just because, you know, they're entitled to their opinion, but just because the guy has a Master of Science degree does not make him an expert in anything. So, you know, you ha there's many facets to this, and I quite honestly find the sociological implications of viewing this at arm's length and in the paranormal side, the way people react, the way people, um, uh, you know, embrace various theories, uh, I find that as fascinating in some ways as I do the science that I believe eventually we will understand and, and explain that there's a reality here that we just don't have the ability to comprehend now. I'm sorry to get off on my, my lecture circuit there. but no, uh, quite all right. Quite all right. You're, you're saying things that, that we 100%, well, I can't speak for Rick, that I 100% agree with. So No, I I completely agree. And you know what, Bruce, the thing that always really amazes me is is that these the explanations that these people offer, um, well, it's the light of Venus refracting off a bald guy's head. Oh, yeah, well, that's what that ghost was. I'm sorry, but that sounds like it's reaching a little bit more than just saying, oh, hey, this is a spiritual presence that is in, you know, this documentation. Um, it just seems that they really that they are so well-funded that, and they are such experts on everything that it's like people are like, oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, it was the, uh, you know, uh, the light of Venus refracting off a bald guy's head. It's just, it just seems to reach so much more than what is the gorilla in the room. I think you're absolutely right, and I think one of the problems that we must understand is, and I, I say this in my lectures, I mean, I know a lot of the folks from the paranormal normal shows, either I've worked with them or I know them personally as well as professionally. Um, and I tell the public when I do lectures, remember, there are shows on television that are, that are truly trying to be investigative documentary series. There are also a lot of reality shows that are basically soap operas dressed up in a paranormal uh, <laughs> yes. genre. And yeah. at the end of the day, they're all there to make money. So yes. you have to, you have, the problem we have as, generally, I think, as American viewers and, and content, um, 
listeners, viewers, whatever whatever the medium is, is we have lost the ability to be a, be very objective observers and say, well, I understand that when half the program is focused on whether you know Dave and Steve are afraid of sp- spiders, that hardly lends itself <laughs> to me having a clear. And you know, look, Dave Tango is a very good friend of mine. His father is, and I was with with them two weeks ago for an event. So I'm not disparaging them or any show. Uh, you know, I, I was on Ghost Hunters with Jason and Grant and Joe Chin's first show and so forth. So I know these folks. And I just think that we have to be discerning and say, look, there there is an entertainment component to this show. Yes. It is not a strict and – and I've told people, people have asked me, well, you're in the business. Do they fake the evidence? And my answer is, look, unless you have – the closest we can come to making sure that this is valid evidence is to have what is used in the legal profession, and that is a chain of evidence. That means that you have someone watch these guys take the – well, the P2 cards now because it's not on tape. You take the digital media out of the camera with without anybody manipulating it, stick it in a bag, put a seal on it, put it in an evidence locker just like you would on a crime scene, and then you have someone who knows how to manipulate an edit session sit in and watch the edit session to make sure they don't manipulate it, and then it's transferred to the final, and then and it's aired, then you can say this has not been manipulated for the for the sake of drama or whatever right. reason. Failing that, I can't sit at home and tell you that it's not been manipulated because sure. there's no way to discern that. Um, however, so what does it come down to when you're watching some of these paranormal shows? It comes down to whether you, the credibility you put in the people, whether you as a viewer feel that these guys and women would phony everything up for the sake of viewers, or whether you believe that they're sincere in their attempt to find out and document what's going on. Now, for my money, and this is worth everything you're paying for, I think that one of the most compelling shows that I've watched, and I have never read or heard anything to the contrary, uh, because I believe it is an accurate show, is uh, uh, The Dead Files. I think that I don't believe that Steve, as a retired New York City homicide detective, is looking... First of all, he's got a good pension. And secondly, I don't think he's doing that to make some extra money and would sell his soul and lie about uh, his corroboration. Secondly, I like the fact when you try to try to tie back in the historical data with uh, the evidence of paranormal activity. I think it greatly strengthens the case, whether we can explain why this is happening or not. And I'd like to point out something that is... It has because I have a background in both broadcast engineering as well as production and in, in journalism. I have an associate's degree in broadcast engineering. I've worked as an engineer. I've worked on uh, you know network sports trucks for years and run up links and all kinds of technical things. I am fascinated by the overriding concept that yes, there is clearly something here that moves beyond the old style anecdotal explanation where you know you when you were kids mom and dad would say you're having a nightmare go back to bed there's nothing there uh and as adults we say well i gotta lay off the you know the jack daniels or i need to get more sleep or man i'm really starting to see stuff um 
you know, we talk ourselves out of stuff that probably was very valid because there was no way to document it. Today, with digital cameras, everybody's got a cell phone that, that records in HD. We have digital audio recording. It's much harder to, to dismiss these pieces of evidence out of hand. And interestingly, one of the approaches I've taken in the last five years is saying, hey, if we can get a commonality in the evidence that people either record or document or relate, and you start to see a pattern here, I think that that building of that database and starting to see regular patterns, the the standard, oh, I just saw someone walk through a wall where there's no door there, or I, when I saw this entity at the end of the bed, they looked like they were as startled to see me as I was them. I've gone back the other way, and I have talked to theoretical physicists and, and people who have a background in traditional science and, and, and engineering and said, okay, here's the common patterns we see in, these, in what people experience. How does that fit in with some of these alternative realities, such as the possibility of the multiverse, of string theory, of some of the theoretical physics? And now you're starting to see mainstream science start to stick their nose under the tent and say, well, you know, there might be something to this, and here's what we're thinking right. might be going on here. Whether you and I are alive or the listeners are alive to see that day, I am thoroughly convinced that at some point in time we will realize the science, the physics, the reality behind what we are just now starting to document in a scientific uh, way. And, and there will be an explanation. There will be an understanding because there is no doubt that you cannot refute all of the evidence that's out there in any of these areas. We just don't have the science and the ability to comprehend and explain that with the terms that we now work with. And that's my true belief in this. And I think it's fascinating and exciting because it's gone beyond the uh, the realm of anecdote and, you know, just mythology and so on and so forth. It's far beyond that now, and I think that's the right path to be on. Well, well the world's changing. Absolutely. Yeah. At least it, it, the way that it's, the world itself isn't changing, but the way that we approach things and look at things is changing. Well, I think you're to be complimented because folks like you that take the time the effort and and people don't realize what goes into producing a show like this and taking the expense on and and what's involved technically to do this research to interview and and you can you know this as well as I do you know I'm I'm the low end of the spectrum but there are fascinating authors and researchers out there mm -hmm. or well educated people Yes. I mean, yeah. to, to spread this word in a serious and meaningful fashion, and I say to people all the time, and I, I probably to the point of being insulting, you know, I've stopped people and said, now let me tell you something. In the most respectful way I can tell you this, your smart remark just belies how ignorant you are of this subject. If you would take five or ten minutes of your precious time to listen to some of the evidence the background, the um, documentation relating to that subject, you wouldn't make smart remarks about it anymore. It would be an eye-opener, and your jaw would be on the floor. Any reasonable person that would spend more than 30 seconds with some silly little remark to look into the serious documented evidence of any of these issues 
would no longer make fun of them and discount them out of hand. It's all, and and, and yeah. I say that in terms of ignorance in the most strict and non, you know, degrading definition of the word. Ignorance of just not understanding the volume right. of information that's out there. Right. Um, and that's what irritates me because people can't get beyond. And and it's funny. I had somebody say to me, "Well." You're you went you're a broadcast journalist. What, what what was that class like where they told you to make fun of every UFO story? And you know I don't know where that came from, but it's prevalent today. You can't do you can't watch mainstream media without a and but it has changed dramatically in the last fifteen years. There are stories that they take a serious look at. The Phoenix Lights went a long way to say, okay, now make fun of this. You know, yeah. people are starting to look at this in a serious nature. So. Yeah, and we've actually interviewed um, Dr. Lynn on the show okay. before because the Phoenix Lights, yeah, yeah right. was was an interesting, an interesting story to me as well. So, hey, Cheryl has a question about Men in Black, and with all of your research into UFOs and everything else, have you encountered anything that's like this reported phenomena of the Men in Black? Well, it, it probably has more time than we have available, <laughs> but. It's 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 another sidebar. I, I've run into probably I would say a dozen different episodes in my career that when you put them down on paper and when you when you've lived through them, they're very very spooky because it's like whoa! Every once in a while, something just comes out of the blue and happens to me um, quite innocently that there's a common thread. And I, I can't explain it, but let me tell you what happened. Um, in 1976, uh, I was in the Civil Air Patrol. I was in uh, Army ROTC, and the Civil Air, I was pretty friendly with the with the guys out of Cannon Air Force Base in Clovis, New Mexico. That was an F-111 base, and uh, knew because I was working overnight radio and I used to get a lot of guys that were on duty would call in. I got to be friendly with them, but I also in a semi-official uh, way, spent a lot of time out on the base um, and got befriended one of the squadron commanders and so forth. And this, as I mentioned, KMTY was a 100,000-watt station. They were doing a transmitter proof one night, and they asked me to go sit out at the transmitter building, which was 20 miles outside of Clovis. Cannon's about similar distance from that. And I'm out there sitting in my pickup truck. And I remember, this is no the area. Uh, this is the time before cell phones and fax machines and the internet and many computers and cable television and satellite TV. So it's kind of hard for folks your age to understand. But uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I well, well, no, remember I remember that time well. quite well. <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, so I got a call. I had the door open in the transmitter building, and uh, we were I was supposed to be on the air, and they said, look, you, you know, go out there and sit at the transmitter. The FCC is doing some testing and stuff because of this unique situation we found ourselves in. That night we had a UFO uh, scare or whatever you want to call it, flight over, over eastern New Mexico. As a matter of fact, they scrambled the F-111s from Cannon, and I, the guy at the studio, young guy, said, called me and said, hey, are you seeing anything over Cannon? I said, yeah, I've been watching these lights in the sky. It's crazy. He goes, well, the, the phones are lighting up all over the place. We don't know what's going on out there, but there's something going on. The next day, I talked to my friends out on the base, and one of who was an officer, and 
Anyway, the long and the short of it is the next night I got a, a 35 millimeter camera with a can, uh, Canon camera that I had an FM or an FG. Nik- I guess it was a Nikon with a f- Canon lens. Went up on the Hotel Clovis and took pictures of these things the second night. And I got I printed the pictures and so on and so forth. Well, I never did anything with that, but it was a well documented situation. They scrambled the F-111s, and those things couldn't come close to these things. They were there for hours. Um, long and the short of it is I didn't say anything. I was on a flight back from uh, uh, San Francisco, and I bought a book in Barnes & Noble on San Francisco. I always try to read when I'm on a plane. And it was a Freedom of Information Act uh, disclosed documents. It was a paper trail about all the documented evidence on UFOs. And lo and behold, I, I turn a page, and here's a National Military Command Center document from Cannon Air Force Base, the date of which I had the photo in my hand that I took out of, you know, probably a hundred photos that looks like every other fuzzy UFO picture. But I took the picture, I printed it on black and white uh, film, put it in a frame, noted on the back, and here's the document, the official government document, which corroborated. So in my mind, because I was there and you know, so are a lot of other people. There's the smoking gun. If you if you say there's no documented evidence, there's a perfect example of how much there is out there hidden in plain sight. Well, long and short of it is about, she's uh, seven, eight years ago, I said, you know, before I get hit by a cement truck, I probably ought to get this on the record somewhere so it doesn't, you know, uh, get tossed out in the trash when I croak. So um, I called a friend of mine. Uh, I got in hold of Brian Vike up in uh, Houston, B.C. as the Vike Report. And uh, one of the people that I most respect in all of the industry is Jeff Rents. I think he's one of the best investigative uh, interviewers and reporters and ethical guys I know. I don't, and, and his show the, the, uh, on Rents.com I think is one of the, the best. He's been on for 12 or 15, 20 years now. A left network anchor position because he couldn't stand what he saw in traditional media, how it was bought and sold. Anyway, Brian says, well, would you like to go on Jeff's show and tell your story? I said, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So I was on for about two hours, told the whole story, gave all the documentation. Two nights later at 3 o'clock in the morning, I get a call on a private cell phone. And this guy, now this is like something out of a cartoon or a bad movie. This guy says, uh, you know, Mr. Pearson. And I said, well, who is this? It's 3.30 in the morning. Nobody had this cell phone number but my family, my immediate family. So, well, we think you should, we, remember he said we, like, you know, do you, are you French or do you have fro- a frog in your pocket? But um, we think you should stop discussing this incident at Cannon Air Force Base uh, in public. I said, well, first of all, who are you? How did you get this number? Why would you want me to stop discussing it? And why are you calling me 3.30 in the morning on a private cell phone, you know? Well, the, let's suffice it to say over 20 minutes, the discussion went downhill from there to the point where this guy started telling me things that my sons were involved in, that I was involved in, my wife Ooh, was involved. Yeah, it got, it got, and let me, let me tell you how cheesy and, and I said, look, I'm in the military, I'm in the reserves. If you tell me, it's just say it's a national security issue. We would appreciate you cease and desist. I'll do it. You know, I am a true-blooded American. I am patriotic, but I will not be bullied in the black by some jerk calling me in the middle of the night. That's not how the game's played. And I said, I don't frighten very easily. 
And this clown had the nerve to say to me, well, you know, Mr. Pearson, accidents happen all the time. People have heart attacks. Cars run off the road. I said, are you threatening me? He says, well, I'm not threatening you, but, you know, bullets are very cheap. I said, oh, my God. That's what I said. And after this guy told me that at that time my son had just gotten his eagle, my one son got his Eagle Scout and the other one was getting his black belt, I knew they were, these people knew what the hell was going on. So I took it very seriously. Long and the short of it is the next day I contacted a friend of mine. I had done a lot of corporate television over the years. I contacted a friend of mine with, let's just say, a major phone carrier, which I'm not even going to discuss any more details in that right now. But anyway, this fellow had retired from this company. I, I called him, and he was, remains a good friend, and I said, look, can we meet? I want to tell you about something. I told him the story. I said, do you know anybody in network operations who could, because the cell phone came up with all zeros on it, because I was going to try to track it. I tried to redial it, and, of course, it was all zeros. So can you try to find out who called me on this line? Because I don't like getting threatened in the middle of the night. So he says, all right, let me make some calls. The next morning, he calls me at like 8 o'clock in the morning. He says, I want to meet you downtown. I'll be there in a half an hour. This was a Saturday morning. And I said, well, what's going on? He says, I'm not going to discuss it. I'll see you downtown in a half an hour. And he hangs up on me. So I go downtown. I was like, man, he must have something pretty, pretty tough to tell me. He walks into the little diner. He's looking all over like, Somebody's chasing him. He sits down and goes, listen. I said, well, let's have a cup of coffee. He said, no, there's no reason. To and I've known this guy for 25 years. He said, I don't know what you're screwing around with. But you know what? I When I even brought this up through people I knew, it got back to me like a wildfire, that I would lose my pension if I pursued this, this line wow. of questioning. He said, I don't know who you're messing with or what you're up to, but don't you ever talk to me about this again. I am not going to lose my pension over this. We are never going to discuss this again. It's done. Do you understand yeah. me? I said, wow. uh, yeah. He said, don't ever bring it up in my presence again. Now, I've seen the guy half a dozen times. It was like it never happened. I would never violate his his trust and my, my word to him. But I'll tell you what, I don't know who I was messing with. Now, it gets even better than that. I've, so now I know, first of all, this is not the world's best sighting for Pete's sake. Yeah, it was documented. I had a, a government document that corroborated it. But after I went public with it, a lot of guys that were in the military that were on the flight line came forward and said, yeah, I was there. And this is continuing on today. You can look it up. It's uh, You can look up UFOs over Cannon Air Force Base, 1976, July, or January 20. 21st, I believe, was the first night. 22nd was the second night. And uh, I think that had something to do with it. But um, I'm trying to figure out why this was such a big flipping deal because, you know, we've all heard of 30,000 more prominent cases that I think are, are, are much more compelling sure. than this. Right. So it just doesn't add up. So I come back from vacation. We, you know, we, have, we have police on Cape Cod. I come back, and late in the summer... One of the guys across the street comes over to me. I'm mowing the lawn. He goes, hey, I've been trying to catch up with you. He says, uh, I have a big house. We used it. Actually, they filmed a couple episodes of As the World Turns here and stuff. So uh, we bought it as a foreclosure. It's a beautiful Georgian colonial. And uh, he said, are you selling dope out of your house or what? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, <laughs> you are on vacation. There was a, 
was a government car in your driveway every day for an hour sitting there. I oh said, my what? Wow. He goes, <laughs> no. I, I said, doing what? He said, nothing, sitting there with the air conditioning on, burning up gas. I said, did you ever see it? What were they doing? He goes, nothing. I never saw anybody get out of the car. They weren't making any bones about hiding it. They sat there for an hour over, like, lunchtime, just sitting there with the air conditioning running, you know. I said, how do you know it was a federal car? He says, well, let's see. Crown Victoria, crappy hubcaps, stubby little antenna, blacked out windows, and G11 license plates on it. What do you think it was, a yellow cab? So I said, well, did you ever see it was in? He said, no, they never got out of the car. Sounds he like said, more of a clown car to me. Well, you know, he said, but they, they were obviously letting people know they were sitting there doing it because they sat there for an hour each day. So you sure, they kidding. wanted you to know. Right. Yeah. He said, well, I'm, I said, well, so I didn't tell him about this other thing. It's, you know, it's bizarre. Somebody will think you're losing your marbles, right? So I'm like, man, oh, man, these guys, and, and to be honest with you, I'm not aware of any impact on my uh, career in the Coast Guard Reserve. I'm not in, and nothing ever happened. We never had any tie rods break on our car, brick lines, mm. you know, or anything, thank God. But so I, after the first night, to go back a step, I called Brian Blake. I said, hey, I'm getting, you know, after this thing happened, I go, I'm getting threatened on this. He said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to sing like a canary i'm going back on your show i'm going back on renz's show and i'm going to tell everybody what happened that's you know i'm not going to let a karen silkwood happen here the best way to protect myself is you know you know sing from the mountaintop and say hey look what these guys are doing that way if if a meteorite does happen to strike me tomorrow morning as i'm walking out to the car somebody can say well wait a minute he was you know so who knows i said Whatever happens, I don't. I don't like to be bullied, and I don't like it with the government. I mean, this clearly isn't the guy down the street pulling this nonsense, pulling my chain. There's something going on here. Um, right. So I went back on. Now here's here's where there's there's just the thread continues. So I make copies of all this stuff. I'm going. I sent it certified mail to Brian Vike. Copy of the photo. Copy of the Freedom of Information Act document. Uh, a signed. Uh, Ray Seal, um, notarized copy of my statement to all to Brian to Jeff Rents. None of them ever got there. So I take this. Uh, yeah, I take I take the uh, the certification down to the post office. What do you think the guy says to me? He says, "Wow, this is weird." He says, "None of these come up in the system." <laughs> so I, I've got certi- certified letter stuff. They all disappeared. None of these people have ever gotten those documents. Never oh. any of them. So I stopped sending Amazing. out more copies of them. So, you know, so Men in Black? Well, in this day and age, I would find it hard to believe anybody would not believe that our... And we're, after 9-11 and after Homeland Security, we are such a surveillance society now. Sure. That there's absolutely... It, I would be, I would be hard pressed to find anybody who would not believe that this type of activity goes on, and that if you get on the wrong side of uh, the folks that are in power, this is the kind of stuff that goes on. I mean, clearly, Echelon right. listens. You know, all the emails are filtered, all the phone traffic is filtered. Hell, they had Angela Merkel's cell phone they were listening to for Pete's sake, and she's the, you know, she's the head of the German government, and we're spying on them. I mean, there's nobody that's not being spied on. So uh, whether it's uh, surveillance by satellites or 
any of the things that are going on. I mean, I think that that's a terrible trend in this country, but that's a whole other area of, of interest and expertise is what's going on not post 9-11 to our civil rights in this country. But, you know, like I said, that's off topic here. So, sure. yeah, do I believe there's men in black? Do I believe? Yes, absolutely. And at the levels we're talking about here, and I truly believe that, you know, the suppression of this evidence goes far beyond the paradigm shift and the ability to prevent anarchy. It goes to control of the general population. It goes to the same reason why emerging technologies for energy efficiency are are not exploited in the positive sense. It's because people want to make a buck off of the status quo. Um, you know, there's a lot... There's more money made out of weapon systems and the continuing wars around the world than, than there will ever be out of you know solar power or wind power and so I think that there's a clear rationale why this stuff is suppressed and it goes yeah. far beyond everybody you know running around and and naked screaming like idiots because we know there's <laughs> UFOs right. truly I, you know I don't think that's the issue, but uh, yeah. So I uh, that was just, I never expected that to be the outcome of me going public with that. I just that's wanted to get it. Right an now. amazing story. So it's, I've never heard anything like that before. It's incredible. Yeah. So do you um, think that crop circles are also part of the UFO phenomenon, or are those something separate? Um, it's interesting. Uh, Linda Howe did a presentation on crop circles and. Uh, her, I I truly think that if you just look at the evidence and the physical evidence of the size of the of the um, circles, the amount of time available to produce them, um, and also uh, the the uh, scientific research done by. And his, forgive me, but his name, the, the uh, biologist that looked at with scanning electron microscopes, you know, the nodes of... Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. I can't mm -hmm. think of his name right now, forgive me. Um, the point being that if you had a couple guys with a two-by-six and a piece of rope bending over, whether it was rapeseed or barley or wheat or whatever, you would have breakage of the stems these stems are are bent over and at the joints in the the stock it is it is expanded in a similar way to popcorn so it's almost it looks like someone who has a knuckle that has arthritis it's expanded there's no way to, to do that with a board and a, and a piece of rope secondly the intricacy the way the um the grain is laid out almost if you took a comb, and it is almost parallel in the way it lays out. This is not people stumbling around in the dark with two hours to make a you know a thousand foot long, symmetrically perfectly laid. There's there's no way you could do that. Now these two knuckleheads that came forward said, "Oh yeah, we did all of them." Doug that and Dave. Was, yeah, Doug and Dave. I mean, come on, just run the numbers. This that was as patently silly as you know the roswell nonsense well it was weather balloons and then it was mogul balloons and there were no mogul balloon launches if you're familiar with the whole roswell story during that period of time and then it was the high altitude dummies 
unfortunately, they were not they were not entered into the picture in the military until five years after forty seven and fifty two, and then their response to that was, well, you know, people have a hard time keeping dates straight when they get old. I mean, come on. And I was in military public affairs. I was a public affairs officer for the Coast Guard Reserve. I know their mindset, and quite honestly, I think it's a paradigm shift where deny and lie and deny and lie until you have purposely destroyed your own credibility and out of that you and let's face it folks take a look at what was going on during the war of the world's broadcast and then take a look at the latest public opinion polls where most americans and most people of the planet that are informed say yeah there's people visiting here we're not alone in the universe no kidding. And so when, you know, if you go to 1952, the, the, whole, the, the silly little remark about, well, what if they landed on the White House lawn? Well, they flew right over the Capitol in 1952. And, and in fact, uh, if you talk to Ron Swiatek, who's, who is probably the expert on that whole episode of, of you know, it was in the Washington Post and the you know, all of the national press, uh, front page headlines. They scrambled F-86s from, from Andrews Air Force Base. Truman issued, and you can go look at this. You don't have to take my word for any of this stuff. Truman issued a shoot-down order for him. Well, that's pretty close to him landing in or on the White House lawn. And guess what? The, the whole country didn't go into a panic. But right. I think that there has either been a covert or an overt or at least a de facto change in the paradigm i mean clearly people are not going what would happen now if one landed on the white house long we'd say okay we know you've been lying to us for the last 60 years now how are you going to lie your way out of this one how are you going to deny this i think that that's really where we are in fact two years ago or a year ago the vatican acknowledged that there's probably life in the universe and that if god created life here he probably got, got tired and needed something else to do and it's probably all over the place so if they're changing their doctrine in their in the, their religious controlling mechanisms to say yeah we don't have a problem with that that's a major step in saying yeah guess what you know the fact of the matter is if they were here for truly bad purposes if you accept that there is something going on, and it's hard to refute all the evidence, but let's just take that as a premise. Obviously, if they have this kind of technology, they could squash us like bugs in an ant farm. So, you know, there's not a lot. And, and let's face it, if your job is to protect American airspace, you're the U.S. Air Force, and these things are coming and going and making a joke out of your best fighter equipment, you kind of got egg on your face to start off with here. So it kind of negates your whole game plan if you're like, well, we can't stop them. We can't even see them coming in. Uh, you know, the, go to the Disclosure Project. Take a look at what Stephen Greer did in that 2001 press conference. Listen to those people. I quite honestly have given lectures to thousands of pilots over the last 10 or 15 years where I've said, hey, here's the deal. You watch this piece of footage. Watch 20 minutes of videotape for me. If you can honestly say at the end of that that you still think this is all bunk, I'll buy you and whoever you want dinner at the best restaurant in this state. And I've never bought anybody dinner ever. So, you know, the <laughs> yeah. fact of the matter is that the crop circles, I think, uh, are a phenomenon that has is not man-made um, whether they're, they're, Linda brought up an interesting uh, hypothesis and I think there's something to it these in fact may be similar to barcodes for uh, non-manned or not or Android or robotic type of uh, surveillance equipment from another race or uh, oh, interesting 
Yeah, they, and, and I'll tell you, um, some of them actually have theoretical uh, algorithms in them, such as Pi and so on. And like, the, are you talking about like the Arecibo message, things like that? Yeah, I, well, I just think that they're, they're, they may be aerial um, barcodes, if you will, labeling. That's really cool. <laughs> yes. Um, so, because clearly they're not all hoaxed by guys with boards. Trust me, go out and go, you know. And the other problem there, again, is, you know, in the real world, they've really irritated a lot of English farmers. I was over in uh, uh, Manchester and Leeds uh, in the spring, and I actually talked to some farmers who knew people in the areas where those happened up near Stonehenge. And he said, oh, they're so tired of that. They they have two options. Either they go in and mow them down the next day because they're so pissed that they're losing all their crops with this stuff, or they start doing they start doing tours and try to at least get some of their crop damage money back by letting the tourists come in. But, you know, there's been all kinds of anomalies. They've had uh, uh, the soil samples are, are irradiated in some cases. There's been electromagnetic anomalies. So this isn't, you know, guys putting a smiley face in the ground like they did with that, uh, you know, the, the Triscuits commercial. Uh, this clearly cannot be explained by traditional methods. And once again, I've said this when I've done lectures as far as EVP evidence. Let's go back to paranormal. I say to people, listen, let me tell you something. I taught nonlinear editing, video editing for five years. Here's the deal. I'll give you a WAV file of this EVP. You go away. I don't care who you go to. I don't care what software you use. Duplicate it. Come on back six months, year, ten years from now. Show us how you did it. Play them side by side. And if you can duplicate that, no problem. Secondarily, I'll tell you where it was taken. You can go. If you can find a natural source and record it and duplicate it, we can check that one off the list. I've never had anybody come back and do that. And the same goes for video evidence. Go ahead. Go to Lights and Sounds Images. Go to Steven Spielberg. You know, Go to the best uh, high-tech special effects labs you can. And just go through it, but just tell us the steps you did and show us how you faked it. Now, obviously, there's a lot of fakes out there in UFO photography. It is actually easier to determine the fakes in digital photography because they, you know, the any the aliasing and, the, and where they patch it in and stuff, when you really blow it up, it's easy to determine. So, yes, I believe it has something to do. Uh, I mean, clearly, it is tied in with UFO uh, evidence. I don't have an answer for it. Uh, but they are stunningly beautiful designs. And, uh, I mean, they're so creative and so uh, elaborate, and some of them are so large. Um, and, and once again, Linda Howe or, or Jennifer Stein would be the person uh, who are, are the experts and have done, and certainly there's a couple other folks that are, are very well-versed in it. But I, I find that a fascinating phenomenon. It's kind of hard to dismiss it out of hand. It's like the... You know, so many things around this planet that just don't add up. Um, I think one of the most compelling books I've ever read as a broadcast engineer is Christopher Dunn's book on the power planet Giza, which I think makes a, an, an ironclad case for the fact that the large pyramid of Giza is actually a microwave amplifier and transmitter. There's no way to get around it. He proves it. Mm. and uh, you That's know, not, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Read that book. It's called The Power Planet Giza. It okay. is not easy reading because it's technical. Um, but, I, and you know, uh, Dr. Shock ha was the one that came forward and said, look, folks, I hate to upset your apple cart. 
uh, uh, Hawass, the guy who was the head of Egyptian antiquities and all his nonsense. But uh, the erosion on the Sphinx is made by water, not by wind, and it's probably 10,000 years older than what you've been saying. And he showed, this guy's, you know, I mean, uh, and, and Linnemold Howe was over in Turkey and excavated a 12,000-year-old city over there with stone carving. She, this was part of her latest lecture. I know that Jen Stein went with her over there. They've been to Easter Island. Uh, some of these things are just unfathomable. Down in Costa Rica, the huge stone balls, 10-ton, perfectly round balls carved out of granite. I mean, how do you explain this stuff? I'll give you something to, to ponder in terms of ancient archaeology. And Michael Cremo, obviously, and David Hatcher Childress are some of the people that, that I've met that are experts on this stuff. Does it seem a little nonlinear to you that uh, the Egyptian civilization, uh, the Hebrew civilization, basically were nomads? They really didn't have cities. They wandered around. They had sheep. They were eating raw fish and unleavened bread, basically a survival uh, society. I think we can all agree that that's the historical accuracy. Sure. Of that. I mean, well, then how do the Egyptians come out of basically out of nowhere, and all of a sudden they have astronomy, geo geology, uh, geometry, um, the, the ability to build buildings that to this day would be hard to match with their intricacy and their accuracy. That's not a linear progression. It's not like we build on thousands of years of building up technology and capability and knowledge. These guys came out, it was like, boop, there's a blip, and all of a sudden, here's Egypt, and then all of a sudden, it disappears again. We go back to the Dark Ages, and we're back into that, we're all a bunch of human morons again. And that doesn't track linear. Think about that. that. That just doesn't make sense on face value. Um, so, I think there's there's so much to be looked at seriously. I find it fascinating. I find it invigorating and energizing because, you know, there there's an entertainment component, component to the paranormal, but I think it's also uh, something that has its basis in science. And to me, that's what fires my rockets to say, hey, there is something here. We just don't understand it. So, hmm. Agreed. Um, Karen, did you want to uh, field Chad's question concerning HARP? Oh, well, you said you actually had a question, and I was going to let you ask that. Well, I so. did. Um, yeah. Oh, you did? No, I, I did. I, I just I didn't want to. I kind of just wanted to hit the uh, listener questions. But I do have kind of a theory, and it may seem a little bit altruistic, but that's just the kind of guy I am. Do you think that the government... It could possibly be protecting us from this because, I mean, let's face it, we can't get along with our neighbor who may be gay or of a different race or of a different religion. How are we ever going to get um, along with somebody who is of an entirely different species, of an entirely different world, and their evolution is vastly different from ours? Do you think that this could be part of the reason well, it's a very pertinent question, and I think that it can be answered on several levels and from several different aspects. I, I mean, first of all, if you're familiar with the Georgia Guidestones, yes, um, that's a very bizarre monument, and it and it relates to the fact that they, that someone out there, uh, one of our brothers or sisters or a number of them, feel that the sustainable number of boys and girls on this planet 
should remain at 500 million. Well, we're about six or eight times above that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're pro- over seven billion. So obviously, we blew that number all to shreds. There may be something to your point. I think that that's an extrapolation or another arm of that. But if you if you listen to the discussions of Dr. Michio Kaku, he feels that there are type one, type two, type three civilizations, and and one of the criteria is uh, as does. Stan Freeman, if I can speak for him too, but I know that he he holds this belief. You know, we haven't. We are basically a warrior species. I mean, we we just can't seem to get it out of our system, as you just related, to beating the daylights out of the guy next door. And it may be part of our, you know, genetic makeup of of protection and gathering enough food and so forth. But um, there certainly is that component. Is it is it valid? Is it uh, responsible and by the way it's the old question well who died and left you in charge how come you're the one that knows what's right for the rest of humanity whether you know it's the uh, banking cartel or the UN or the world court or whoever it is you know who decide who voted for you guys to be the the ones that'll pull the trigger and make this decision who are who are you to decide see that at the level when you get into multinational corporations uh, the EU at those levels the United Nations the uh, the World Bank the World Court these people s- start believing their own press releases in my mind i mean they start deciding that it's it's not only about money it's about power, and then it gets to the point where saying, you know, I really know what's right for humanity. Oh, mm. really? Well, who dropped that bomb on your, your brain and made you the guy that knows, or you the organization that knows what's right for humanity? Not that it, they, right. they, they may, may very well be very reasoned and intelligent. Obviously, they're not fools, or they wouldn't be in that position. But to go mm. back to your point, that's cl- that was clearly used um uh, back in the 50s as a rationale uh, I think that that's been used by government as a smokescreen or a valid reason to say you know quite honestly during World War II to a great deal due to technology our our grandparents and parents were much more ignorant in once again in the literal description of that of what was going on in the world than we are today we didn't you know the Arab Spring was, was fueled by viral communications we are part and parcel with worldwide instantaneous communications that's available to anybody right now as we speak on the internet you know this was impossible to do when i started in broadcasting you couldn't have a broadcast to everyone on the planet who had an internet connection or a cell phone connection and we're doing exactly that right now so the world has changed in terms of the availability of this information and that has greatly disrupted the control factors whether it's valid and reasonable and important and and a good thing or not so yeah i believe that there's there's strong um impetus on the governmental level to tell people what they think they should be told or what they feel is in their best interest and 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 that's the very nature of government to be secretive and and well don't tell them everything because you just keep them stupid and you know it's the you know keep the sheep with their head down or their pigs with their face in the trough and everybody will be happy campers you know as long as we have our sporting events we really don't know what's going on in Syria nor do we care 
Uh, you know, I have my SUV that I'm leasing for $99 a month. I'm getting a $35,000 vehicle for $99 a month. Nobody sat down and figured out how's that supposed to work. I have my big screen TV, and I can watch the football game Sunday night. The world is, I'm living large. Meanwhile, the economy's in the toilet. The dollar's a joke in terms of being the reserve currency. You know, we're fighting these undeclared wars all over the world like the, the, the Hessians of this century, and getting guys' legs blown off, spending money we don't have. You know, it's just we're in denial in so many ways because we're led to believe that everything's cranking along and things aren't as bad as they perhaps are. So, yeah, I think there's great validity to your point that keeping people dumbed down we're allowing them because they're just we don't want to educate ourselves we allow ourselves to be dumbed down how many people do you know that say oh, i never vote it doesn't matter anyway yeah. that's sad that's pretty yeah, sad because you know what yeah. you've just you've let them do whatever they want to you if you don't yeah. have enough enough intelligence to go and spend 30 minutes to vote you deserve what you're going to get and there's no. been major, demonstrable, yeah. provable, documented changes in our civil rights and in this country's mm -hmm. fabric since 9-11 mm -hmm. that I don't think you ever put that genie back in the bottle. And I go take a look at a synopsis of the Patriot Act or Patriot II. Take yeah. a look at executive orders. Take a look at what's gone on systemically in this country uh, with how we run this country and, and what our rights are. Um, I mean, the whole... And, and I don't want to get into politics because everybody's entitled their opinion. And just because I say it doesn't mean it's right. But can you tell me what the distinction is between a hate crime and a regular crime? For example, if I take a two-by-four and beat your brains in, does it make it any less a crime if I didn't say uh, utter racial epithets? Right. Or say that I was doing it? Are you any less dead? So why is this now a special bracket of crime? A crime is a crime is a crime. If I beat your brains in the two-by-four, I didn't know what, what I was saying. So why do we have to have another distinction for that? Um, and these are the kind of political correctness speech, and you can't, you, know, you can't say, hey, look, this is wrong. This is not fair. You, oh, well, you're going to offend somebody if you say that. Well, you know... That's where we're getting in this country, where you, you're precluded from, no matter how ignorant and arrogant and wrong and rude you may be, um, you know, usually people around you would say, you know, that's a pretty ignorant thing to say, but they, you wouldn't get locked up for being a moron if you say something. Now, you, you know, you lose your job, it's a hate crime, it's, it just gets into 1984, times yeah. three there's there's five million surveillance cameras in great britain five million and all no it's not just england wow. that's great britain well, that's sure. a fact go take a look at it did they stop them from blowing up those double-decker buses in the subways no. No. no no oh they went back after the fact and said oh yeah there it is there's the baggies putting under the seat now watch the bus blow up well, what good did that do did the, right. did the surveillance did the millions of dollars spent on anti-terrorism, stop those guys up at the the Boston Marathon? Absolutely no. not. Oh, well, we got to look at it after the fact. Everywhere you look now, you're being surveilled. Uh, yeah. Is that good or is it bad? I don't think, you know, go back to Ben Franklin. People that give up their freedoms for security end up with neither. And I yes. think that that's, that's a demonstrable fact. And uh, we just, you know, 
continue down this road. Every time there's a scare, we tighten the screws down on civil liberties. And, you know, the old axiom that, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't care if they watch my emails. Well, it's, it's not the proper use of the technology or the law. It's the overt, uh, you know, abuse of these laws and technologies that degrade society. Right. So. I've sure. gotten off on a tangent, but uh, that's no, I, all right. I, that's okay. <laughs> it did happen. We, we all do it. So, um, Chad Forgive has a question. No, no, you, it no, was no, fine. fine. Um, Chad has a question, and he wants to know about Harp. He wants to know what it is and where did we get that technology. I actually have been up there. Um, uh, I uh, Harp is a very, very scary subject. If you go back to Battlefield 2020, which was an Air Force. Um, think tank report about the battlefield of the future uh, the defense department you can find battlefield 2020 actually I printed out a copy of it it's hundreds of pages long but one of the things that they, the department of defense strategically um, noted as one of their goals is to control the weather on the battlefield now let me go back in history and give you a, a, a real quick snapshot uh, two two instances where it made all the difference in, in a battlefield scenario. The Spanish Armada was pretty much defeated by a freak storm and destroyed. We're aware of that from historical accounts. And clearly, you know, the, the largest fleet in the world just went to the bottom almost because of this freak storm. The Battle of the Bulge probably would not have turned out the way it did with the Germans being defeated had the, it, the weather not cleared enough for the U.S. to bring in airstrikes against the artillery and the armor that was amassed against this pocket of GIs stuck in the bulge during World War II. They got clearing, the P-47s came in and just obliterated what, what it was a force that would have run over them. So what does this have to do with HARP? HARP is a huge micro, it's the largest microwave antenna array in the world, although the Russians do have a similar system to HARP. What is it designed to do? It literally takes microwave radiation, which is RF transmission. Microwaves are used to transmit up to satellites and then rebroadcast to your dish network or, or your uh, direct TV and so forth. But microwave, high power microwave, is directed to the ionosphere. If you're familiar with the solar winds, if you're familiar with the uh, northern lights, uh, these these are particle streams, electron streams, uh, ionization that hits the ionosphere. And what does that mean? Well, it does a couple things. The ionosphere uh, are are high altitude um, blanket of of uh, the ionosphere protects us from gamma rays, which would kill everything on the Earth if we had a a um, a solar, uh, not a solar, but a uh, a uh, supernova. The gamma burst would pretty much wipe out uh, our ability for the atmosphere to protect us from gamma rays, which would kill all all life on the surface eventually, and would pretty much wipe out the planet. Um, so that's a very important blanketing factor. Um, and what they're doing with HARP is they are heating up the ionosphere and redirecting the jet stream in a nutshell. I had two years of meteorology. I'm pretty much familiar with this. Now, what does that mean? Well, 
during the Vietnam War, I'm not sure people were aware of this, but we spent a couple of years cloud seeding over the Ho Chi Minh Trail to try to wash out the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which was the main land-based supply line for the Viet Cong coming out of China. So we tried to basically eradicate their supply route by running the thing under a typhoon day in and day out. This is this is the latest iteration of that. Now, uh, I can tell you a story that I haven't vetted fully, but this is an interesting concept. I have it on very good authority, having been in the Coast Guard and involved in Katrina and in the aftermath of that, that, and you could look this up and verify yourself. There's not a lot of documentation on it. That storm made a a strange left turn before it hit land and went right down the middle of New Orleans and it wasn't tracking and none of the computer models said it was going to do that. It's not been made very public because, you know, some guys at the National Weather Service and NOAA have egg on their face because it didn't follow the track. But I have it on very good authority that that's exactly what happened. There is a group of researchers that have come up with some anecdotal evidence that says that may have been a test of HARP to see if it actually would work. Uh, but what HARP does is HARP will move by heating the ionosphere, will effectively move the jet stream around, which will allow a government or the Department of Defense or the U.S. Air Force or whoever you want to say, the Department of Energy actually, more technically correct, to move the weather around and screw around with the weather. Now, Dr. Nick Begich is the world expert on that, in my mind, and he's written books on it. Um, let's see, uh, Angels Don't Play This Harp, I believe, is the title of his book. Read his book. Listen to You can pull up his uh, interviews and stuff. And I'll tell you what, it'll, it's, it's pretty creepy technology. And when you start screwing around with the weather, like we are clearly doing uh, with chemtrails, um, this is screwing around with the planet on such a large scale that it's just as bad as genetic modification of our food supply. These are things that you can't put these genies back in the bottle because we don't really understand at a macro scale what the effects of the long-term effects of screwing around with the weather and moving the jet stream around will do in terms of global warming, global cooling, cooling or global climate change. So, uh, Read, the more you read about the harp, the harp project, the scarier it gets. And I'll be, and I, and I'm deadly serious about that. It's very hmm. creepy. Yeah, that is a little creepy. No, it's a lot creepy. It's a lot very, creepy. Very scary, actually. There's um, there's enough to be scared of out there. I, and I hate to, yeah. I don't want to sound like a gloom and doomer, but I'll tell you what, there's not a lot of positive things coming down the pike in my mind. That's a shame. So hmm. Chad had one other question, and he, I think it was sparked by when you were talking about um, the pyramids. And he said that some people say that the pyramids could be used as a death ray, and he wants to know about that. I've never heard that. So that's his question. <laughs> I, I am not aware. I would strongly... If you have the availability and the money and the time and the inclination, get Chris Dunn's book. It is absolutely clearly, in my mind, an amplifier and a microwave transmitter. Now, Christopher Dunn made it very clear at the end of the book. He goes, look, I don't know. It's pointing at 
uh, Orion's Belt. And there are numerous indications in ancient mythology, in Hopi traditions, in a lot of the uh, in the uh, uh, Indian culture and their Indian religious beliefs. In the uh, I forget, it's Vedras, I guess, is what it's, their Bible's called. And by the way, you want to read something? It'll blow you away. And try to, and it's two hundred seventy-five thousand verses, so it's not an easy read. But the the but the the Hindu Bible, which is five thousand years old, not only says there's we've been visited by all kinds of beings. They they show diagrams of their of their craft. They they explain the different groups. If you go and look at a religious uh, picture of. Uh, the Hindu god, they're blue, and the reason, and, and they're pre- depicted as blue. They're blue because these are aliens, and that is their skin color. They, they, this is not, you know, this. Oh well, it's only mythology and folklore and so on. Perhaps, but perhaps it's unsophisticated people talking about a very highly technological uh, effect. Back to his question about a death ray. I don't believe that they were designed for that. I believe they were designed and built based on Christopher Dunn's research. And this guy is is a mechanical engineer. Um, I believe it was a transmitter station back to, I think there's evidence that it was either to a orbiting satellite or space station or some type of vehicle uh, in, in, in orbit or back to... Orion's Belt, where the, the, by the way, how did ancient people know that there was a binary star system there in Orion's Belt when you couldn't even discern that without a huge telescope, which was not invented for another 4,000 years? So I don't think they're a Death Star, but clearly um, they were, when you understand these different rooms and how they were formed and what they could do. And this also explains why, you know, there's a port, a small port, a couple inches square that goes at a strange angle and it points right for Orion's belt. That's actually exactly into the tolerances. I'm talking about a couple millimeters over 300 feet at an obtuse angle through the pyramid. The exact requirements for waveguide and waveguide at the at 2.8 or 5.2 gigahertz doesn't trans transmit through wire it transmits through open air because it won't transmit through wire at those high frequencies in any event why did they have to have such extreme tolerances and secondarily how could they possibly do that with stone chisels and no modern technology we'd have a hard time doing that today so no i don't think it's a death star uh, but I truly believe it was a technological transmitter. Um, and why did it stop transmitting? Well, apparently there was an accident. If you go in, he explains there's a crack in one of the uh, the rooms in there, and either it was an earthquake or they it ran wild and they had an explosion of some type that rendered it useless. So I don't have any explanation for that, but I don't think it was a, a weapon per se uh, from my reading or my research. But, you know, that's worth everything you're paying for it as far as my opinion. <laughs> Well, so lots lots to process here. We're actually at I wish we had more time and I hope that you will come oh, back yeah. and join us join us again because we obviously much more to talk about. Um well, thank you. But we have reached the point of our show that we call Shameless Self Promotion Corner. So anything that you would like to promote, you're welcome to do so now. Uh I just appreciate the listeners not 
poking their eyes out with sticks or pencils right now or, you know, um, ma- licking the envelopes to send me mail bombs. But I appreciate them listening. I hope that <laughs> there was something of value that they got out of this. I, I really thank you for giving me the time to to uh, speak to, to you tonight. I would, if, if you're so interested, I'd love to come back. Uh, I encourage people to take a skeptical but open mind on anything they look into and you know i've said to many people look if you're into paranormal research or ghost investigations as a hobby or an entertainment there's nothing at all wrong with that for whatever reason you get involved in in these uh, examinations or explorations good for you i mean there's nothing wrong with that um but i would hope that you would would say hey you know there's something here to this and and try to go a little bit beyond that, um, and but have an open mind and have a skeptical mind. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's any more valid than if you read it in uh, in a book or listen in the National Enquirer. So, uh, you know, nothing to promote other than the fact that you know people are certainly will welcome to uh, email me if they want or contact me on Facebook. Um, I'll give you my e- my my email address is. Uh, um, actually, I'll set up. I'm setting up another address. Just Bruce Pearson at Gmail dot com should get to me or through through the radio station here. But thank you again for having me on. I hope I didn't torture you too much. No, are you oh, kidding God, no, me? I've fascinating. Been fascinated the entire time. So thank you. You are welcome on any time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. You bet. Okay, right. Bruce you. Pearson. Everybody, have a good evening, Bruce. Good night. All the best to everybody. Be safe. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Wow, that was really, really slightly terrifying, but really fascinating. See, I knew it would scare you. And it's funny, too, because I actually <laughs> sent an email to Cheryl earlier about, I really want to touch on a scary uh, you know, UFO-type stuff because I want to scare the crap out of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's not the ghosts and stuff that get to me. It's the other things. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's all, the, it's, it's all the stuff that, you know, because I just don't, think ghosts can do a lot to you but boy i you know i although he makes some good points that if they're here and they've been here they clearly have the technology to have obliterated us a long time ago and they haven't so there's something to that well i definitely think so too and i do believe that there may be a um a scientific study um angle to it but yeah if 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 they wanted to kill us a long time ago they would have killed us a long time ago or allowed us to wipe ourselves out i mean how many how many times has there been um the opportunity for us to completely destroy ourselves we had the bay of pigs i mean i remember as a child in the 80s hiding underneath the desk as if that's going to save you from oh a yeah missile. Do you remember those oh yeah, yeah. we used I mean, to have we were just jim and i was just talking about those the other day as a matter of fact the yeah. air raid drills now they do um oh shoot tanner was telling me a different kind of drill they do now and essentially, it's an air raid drill, but for the you know for the the new millennia, it's very similar. Yeah. You know, it's still it's not like the the school has a shelter or something. But you know, we grew up also during the Cold War, mm-hmm. and um, the threat of of nuclear attack seemed very real anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, I still I still can't watch. Uh, Terminator movies or anything. I tried watching um, 
the day after you remember that was a nuclear war film that they played on channel uh, i think it was on N- nbc back in the mid 80s i can't watch that stuff or mm-hmm. even think about it without wanting to just <laughs> you know curl up in a corner somewhere and just and and now, hide. It, it's, yeah. it still scares me it still scares you, me you know and and when Bruce was talking about kind of the complacency of our population, he's right. We we are a very complacent population. And um, I think that some people are complacent. Some people just don't know ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then I'm neither complacent nor ignorant. But at the same time, I'm not going to let fear of what could possibly happen rule my life. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, I, I sh- should rather clarify or specify, back then, it was... Yeah, yeah. when you're a kid, that's it was scary terrifying. stuff. Yeah, yeah I mean, scary, but, scary stuff when you're a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. But now um, it's like, uh, you know, I got, you know, am I am I going to be able to make my electricity bill next week? <laughs> you know, that's, or my rent? Yeah, you, know, or, you have, you have you know, struggles for survival. Well, you know, exactly. you have Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and basically... Um, what Maslow says is that you have survival needs first and that you can't really worry about other things unless your survival needs are being met. Yeah. So. I, I, I'm not too worried about a T2000 coming back and killing us all, but, um, <laughs> but it, clearly there, there have been more than one opportunity where sure. the human species could have completely annihilated itself from the face of the planet. And yet it hasn't. Well, we've been lucky, probably. Could be. Could be. Or there's somebody keeping us from doing it. That that could be as well. But, you know, the other thing that I was thinking about when Bruce was talking, but I didn't want to interrupt because I was sort of wrapped, um, is that he was, when you said, you know, basically that people are getting less and less smart. And you're going to be shocked here because I'm going to reference a movie. A movie that I've actually seen. Have you seen the movie Idiocracy? It is one of my all-time favorite movies because you know what? It's true. It's, it's true. so prophetic. It's it's very prescient. If you watch that movie, you can actually see it happening. Right, you can. Right and your eyes. Oh yeah, I mean, just go to your local Walmart for God's sake. But Cheryl has <laughs> never Cheryl has never seen Idiocracy. You must see it. It's it's amazing. It it's the whole idea that for whatever reason that the intelligent people of the world just stop reproducing and all the dumbasses of the world do are reproducing like rabbits. And five hundred years down the line, the entire world has gone from being Star Trek to being um, you know, a bunch of good old boys and just people who aren't very intelligent. It's a great movie and it's like I said, it's very prophetic. Well, it is. Um, I hope it's not that prophetic, but it just, as he was talking about that and how complacent we've grown, it really made me start to think about that movie. <laughs> and, yeah. And, I mean, the movie's a comedy, but at the same time, it's it's a fairly black comedy. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, um. it's, uh, <laughs> I, I I just, I, I, I thought it was really great. I mean, and just look at like the television shows that they were watching in the, um, uh, on the movie, Ouch My Balls. And <laughs> you, you, you see that nowadays and I will admit it is a guilty oh, I pleasure, know. but I'm also well, not ouch, a what, Which one? Ouch My Balls or? Ouch, well, no, I mean, they're, they're, they're watching yeah. this show, you know, people I like know. falling down and, and, you know, and, and racking I mean, themselves. Well, look at Wipeout, that show Wipeout. That's pretty much Ouch My Balls, isn't it? 
yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's we we are seeing more of a devolution rather than evolution, and that yeah. kind of scares me a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that it's still up to us to decide where we're going to go. But I think I, I like to hear that there are people who are. Um, trying to spread some intelligent thought and some intelligent ideas sure. to to people. And so I appreciate guests like Bruce who make people think a little bit. And yeah. of course, all of the listeners in our audience are quite intelligent. I oh, just, I would definitely I just needed to toss that in there. Yeah. No, I would definitely have to agree with that. And you know, it's like like I was saying we have trouble with just our neighbors, you know, how are we going to get, in, you know, along with people from other worlds who are vastly different from our own and have a evo- different evolutionary path and that we can even imagine. And it's like, you know, when like America, when marriage equality hit, that was like, wow, this is the greatest thing in the world. At least that's what I thought. And I know you thought that as well. And many of our friends and family members thought that as well, but it's like, you still have people that use those kind of words to describe gay men and lesbian women and it's like we are a long way off a long way off and i i I don't care what anybody says yeah you know jim and i have this argument all the time because jim is of course very pragmatic very intelligent Mm -hmm. um and i'm an idealist and i but i i do see I mean, I do see what goes on in the world. I I don't close my eyes to those things, but I tend to be very idealistic and, oh, everybody's going to be okay. You know, and and Jim's very much, fight the power, fight the, you know. And Mm -hmm. um, so we we have these giant philosophical debates where he's saying, yeah, but you have to do something. You have to take action. And I say, well, I try to take action on a small scale by treating everyone with love. And, you know, he rolls his eyes at me and I call him a crazy old coot. And it works for us. We balance each other out. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is def- there's definitely a difference between acceptance and tolerance. I like to say tolerance is still being an asshole, but with a handshake and a smile. Whereas being accepting, you're like, hey, man, I'm cool with you, you know. Yeah. So yeah. that's my own personal life philosophy. There you go. All right. So, Cheryl. Hey, how's it going? Well, hi. You're having a, having a nice discussion there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry like about it. my, uh, you, I'm, I'm sure your finger probably hit the dump button, correct? No. What'd you say? Oh, oh okay. When well, I was, the tolerance I think, he said, I think he said A pipes. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I did. I, that got right by me. Yes. <laughs> okay. But at least it wasn't like the F-bomb Karen dropped. Yeah. It was exactly. a long time ago. Karen will never forget that one time. I may or may not have been on yeah. at the time. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, wow, that, that was a great interview with Bruce. And he's agreed yes. to come back. So we'll set up another Hallelujah. interview with Bruce and Fantastic. continue the compelling conversation that you guys were having. So I feel like that after this, he, he delivered it really nicely enough and intelligently enough that while it's a little it's it's certainly disturbing some of the things he's Mm -hmm. talking about it's not like i can't even remember who we had on i think it might have been nick redfern Mm -hmm. the night that i laid in bed with my hands clutching my covers and stared at the ceiling yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'm not gonna do that that yeah yeah yeah. Well, we had uh, featured Bruce in the June 2013 issue of Paranormal Underground. Katie Christopher writes a column for us, and um, she wrote about Bruce's experiences um, in that issue. 
so we but we bar- barely scratched the surface in there so so well, glad I mean, he was able barely to scratch the surface yeah there. yeah I and know. not only that, but I could just sit and listen to him talk because um, I it was so funny. I sent Cheryl a private message and I said, I feel like I'm talking to Alan Alda. And then Rick mm-hmm. texted me and said, I feel like I'm talking. That's <laughs> <So>. funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like talking to Hawkeye Pierce, you know. <laughs> he's got he's got those he's got the voice for it, boy. I can see why yeah. he's done radio. I like listening to people who have that yeah. nice maloof. I can never say it. Mellifluous voices. There we go. Yep. So Cheryl, uh, there's a new mag out. Yes, go to paranormalunderground.net and click on our archives page. The new issue is there along with all of the old issues. And the newest online issue is November 2013. You can read it for free. You can buy a PDF. You can buy a 12-month digital subscription. Or you can buy the actual issue on madcloud.com. Very good. It's chock full of paranormal goodness. Oh my gosh! It's 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 just it's huge right right now. It's eighty eight pages long. It's got all sorts of different paranormal related articles from UFOs to ghosts and hauntings to conspiracy theories and demonology and I don't know. I I did so much stuff. I can't even get it all in right now. So. I know I've I've paged through it. I haven't read as much as I'd like to, but I've mm-hmm. at least I've at least started my journey on reading it. So you know cool. I'm gonna need a good stretch of time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you will. <laughs> That's right. And then next week is next week. Are we doing the Life Between Lives show? Is yes, right? November twenty first. We'll be talking with Bryn Blankenship, Sweet. and we'll be talking past life regression and life between lives spiritual regression and. And I'm, I'm sure all sorts of, yeah, of side topics related to that. And then the week after, that's December 5th, we'll be, ta- be talking to Frank Lazaro from the New well, Jersey. Well, the week after that is Thanksgiving and we're off. We are. I'm sorry. for I just yeah. glossed right over mm-hmm. that. We won't be on the week on, th- well, actually, the day of Thanksgiving. We won't be on. So um, we'll skip that week. And then the next week after that, Frank from New Jersey researches of paranormal evidence is joining us and that'll that's that is going to kick off our december and we will have shows every week except for december 26th so we won't be on then either all right well look at that we actually we almost never take time off yeah we've actually taken a week off here and there this year and it's it's, i you know i love doing this show and i love talking to our guests and i love our audience but it's nice every once in a while to have a thursday night yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I know Jane loves it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Well, and Tanner likes it, too, because that means that he doesn't have to stay off the internet so that he doesn't <laughs> hog the bandwidth. So. <laughs> Poor Tanner. You know, he can play that. He can play that whatever. The I think, did, like, a new Call of Duty game just come out or something? Um, there's a, yeah, oh, there's a lot of games that just yeah. came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's probably one of, of course, the whole Christmas batch, the holiday batch of games are out. And, yeah. and so I think he downloaded a few of those for himself, and he's, you know, he wants the bandwidth. <laughs> That's okay. He's a happy gamer. We'll share. You know, I have to say, his, so he's, he's a senior this year, so he'll be graduating in June. Oh. His life, this kid just has no idea what's waiting for him in the real world. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yep. Welcome to you hell, know, buddy. And I'm not even that super permissive of a parent, or you know. And it's not that we've sheltered him or anything else. It's just you know, there's this cushy life he has in the, the real world. <laughs> <laughs> He's in for a little surprise, Karen. 
Oh, he is. He is. You know, just even from, like, dorm food. Dorm food will shock him at how horrible it is. <laughs> but you know what? He's a good kid, so I'm sure that he's oh, going to be adult. a very good man. And, you know, he's, you know, I'm sure he'll be just fine. I Oh, yeah. I know he will. I, I know he will. Okay, well, you know what? We have come to that time of the show where we need to wrap things up. Yes. Oh. I know. It was a really quick two hours. Yes, it was. Uh, lots to think about. I actually did download that book on the pyramids to my Kindle, so That's I'm going cool. to read that. Although I'm reading a book about Reiki right now, so once I'm done with that, then I'll read the pyramid book. All right. Let us know how it is. If it's, I'll report back. Yeah. Too technical. This is what I love about doing the radio show. Actually, it's it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing because, of course, you know, we don't make any money from doing this show at all. And... um so on Thursday nights, I spend the time doing this, but I always wind up in the middle of the show while guests are recommending books. I look them up on Amazon and download them to my <laughs> Spend Kindle. a fortune, yeah. So I wind up like really <laughs> nice. super broke by the end of every Thursday night. <laughs> you know, That's so thank God, paydays tonight at midnight or the kids would be, uh, you know, they would be eating. <laughs> Anywho, all right. So uh, with that being said, next week it's Bryn Blankenship, right? Yes. Come back right, next so week. Come back next week. We are going to be talking about a topic that fascinates me, and it fascinates Cheryl, too. It does. I love I don't that's know if it fascinates favorite. Rick, but it should. Well, I, I, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I definitely know that I'm going to be uh, coming on next week with uh, my brain wide open to learn a lot. There we go. Yay. So we'll be talking about Life Between Lives um, and Life Between Lives Hypnotherapy, which I personally have had and amazing experience so next week 6 p.m pacific 9 p.m eastern other times in the flyover states when you come to listen to the paranormal underground radio on the hazy radio network we'll see you next week everybody have a good night if Bye-bye. you'd like to be a guest on Underground radio email editor at paranormalunderground.net until next time keep exploring the unexplained at paranormalunderground.net please join us next week for paranormal underground radio on the hazy radio network <laughs>